pain. It's the body's way of alerting the brain to injury. Without a robust pain response, physical trauma, from a simple cut to a cracked rib, could go unnoticed and untreated. Some people, however, experience chronic pain that lasts after an injury has healed or may have no easily identifiable cause at all. Unfortunately, treating chronic pain with prescription and even over-the-counter medications has its own health risks, including adverse side effects or addiction to powerful opioids. I'm Charles Blue, and in this episode of Under the Cortex, I'm speaking with Mary Driscoll, a researcher at Yale University and an author on the latest issue of Psychological Science in the Public Interest, which explores how psychological interventions can help people manage chronic pain. Welcome to the show. Hi, Charles. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Before we get too into the weeds, could you start off by telling us a bit about chronic pain? and How does this impact our mind and bodies? Sure, I'd be happy to. I think before, though, I think it's important to acknowledge just how common chronic pain is. So one in five adults reports chronic pain. That meets that definition of pain that lasts more than three months. And um, one in 10 reports high-impact chronic pain, uh, which is that kind of pain that interferes significantly in day-to-day life. For those who have it, it can make it hard to move, to work, to sleep, socialize, and for some even to get dressed or to bathe. Um, And I think when people have chronic pain, there's rarely a reprieve for them. Um, It may wax and wane over time, but the unwelcome experience is constant. And for many, it's unrelenting. And this kind of physical stress and the way that it interferes with life can complicate well-being. So it can prompt things like social isolation. People can begin to challenge their sense of self. It may perpetuate fears of further injury or disability. And in many, it may elicit feelings of helplessness or anger or frustration. And for others, it can even contribute to the onset or maintenance of things like depression. So, you know, pain can also prompt people to adapt unhelpful strategies to deal with it, things like pushing through activities or avoiding them altogether. So I think hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of how it affects kind of mind and body collectively. Absolutely. And, you know, I do have my own experience with it. I dislocated a hip many years ago and had to wait years until I could have it surgically addressed. So I lived with chronic pain and putting on a sock was a daily challenge. So yes, I I do appreciate all those problems. So you were involved in a report, Psychological Science in the Public Interest, that looked about ways of addressing chronic pain that weren't pharmacological. This was the psychological interventions. Could you tell us what the report actually had to say? Sure. Again, I want to just preface this a little because when we start to hear the word psychology and pain, We often get very negative, strong reactions because when people hear psychology and pain in the same sentence, there's this assumption that we're saying that the pain is all in people's heads and that the pain isn't really real. And that's really not what we're saying at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. What we're saying and what we try to articulate in our report is that pain is very much a real thing. It's modulated within the brain, which is the same organ that regulates what we think and how we feel. And as I just discussed, pain very much affects those things as well. So when we talk about psychology and pain, we're talking about harnessing psychological resources to reduce it 
and the associated distress that comes with it to improve well-being. So we discuss an array of psychological interventions that have been developed and tested to do just this. And these psychological interventions, to greater and lesser extents across all of them, convey significant benefit for people with chronic pain. So they are a viable, important, and critical pillar of pain management. So then what are the specific tools that we're talking about? What are the specific recommendations that the report brings to us? Sure. So we highlight lots of different psychological interventions and some of them detail. So for instance, just to name a few, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is one for chronic pain. Acceptance and commitment therapy for chronic pain is another. There are things like biofeedback, relaxation training, emotional awareness and expression therapy. All of these are interventions that we highlight within the manuscript or the, the article. And each one of them, not all of them, talk about specific tools. But some of them do. So for example, cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain teaches people how to pace activities and to resist the effort that often comes for people with pain to push through to get things done. Because we know that when they do that, that creates pain flares. And so essentially what pacing does is it teaches you how to get more done with less pain. So when you're done with whatever activity you're doing, there's room in your tank to do other things. Other tools like relaxation and biofeedback teach people to recognize and to counteract the body stress response. So for example, when people are in pain, you can imagine that that fight or flight response is in overdrive, which leads to increased muscle tension and that exacerbates pain. And so learning to recognize this tendency and this connection and then learning relaxation strategies like deep breathing or visualization that can turn down the volume on that stress response can actually go a long way to reduce the pain and the suffering that comes with it. So these tools all seem semi-intuitive. So are these recommendations a mix of personal behavioral things that people can just adopt? Or are they strictly things where you really need to work with someone who's a professional and dealing with all these items to really make it most effective? You know, that's a really interesting question. And I think that's a question that we're working very hard to answer right now, what works best and for whom, um, and how is it best delivered? Um, Many of these things are you know, things that you would encounter in a face-to-face session or with the COVID pandemic, we've transitioned quite a bit of it to virtual care. And yet there are other studies that are suggesting that some of these things can be adopted and learned by individuals with minimal help from a professional. And so I think it's really on an individual case-by-case basis, what's available to you, how much confidence do individuals have in their ability to implement these things in their own lives and to recognize these patterns. Um, So for some people, they could probably do a lot of this on their own with minimal intervention. And for other people, perhaps those with more intractable pain, those who maybe have had pain for long periods of time, who have less confidence in their ability to manage pain, um, they may benefit more from some direct interaction. Does the research tell us anything about really the effectiveness of these techniques? Can we compare it to taking prescription pain medicine on a scale of reducing pain and and actually having a real impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. How successful are they? As a non-pharmacologic intervention, they are actually fairly effective um, and on par with and less risky um, as many other interventions like 
you know, medications and some surgical interventions. Now, certainly we're not making the case that we should abandon all of those things altogether. But what we are making the case for is that this is effective and is about as effective as all the other things. Uh, And so all things being equal, this should be a part of someone's comprehensive pain care plan. To leave this pillar out um, is a really critical oversight and it's a really critical missing piece, if that makes sense. So there have been times again in my life where I've had to have some surgery for issues of chronic pain. And part of that recovery was okay, here's your prescription pain medicine, but also here are your physical therapy regimes. So you're going to be, we're going to pay for it. Insurance picks this up. You go, you do these, you learn them, you practice them, you continue to do them. Is there anything in the healthcare system that has the same recommendation to concurrently begin psychological interventions as well? Or is this something that people really have to just discover and find and do on their own? You know, this is really hard because there's a sort of national initiatives to really try to make this um, an acknowledged part of pain care, but it isn't as accessible to folks as things like physical therapy and some of the other interventions um, and the exercise-based interventions and things like that. So for some people, it is a struggle to find it. In other healthcare systems, like in the Veterans Affairs system, for example, this is standard care. It's accessible and recommended to most of our veterans who have chronic pain. Um, it's part of their pain care plan. And we have sort of a stepped care model that includes this as a hallmark feature of the, of the plan. And we always like to think we get to a point where something is cured or we've finished what we're doing, such as, again, physical therapy. You do it for three months, problems resolved, you go on with your life. Are these psychological interventions things that are a lifetime of effort, or can they get to a certain point where they've solved the problem, or at least they've improved it to a point where you can just go about your daily business and not really worry about it again? Yeah, and that's a great question. You know, I mean, just to speak to what you initially said about this idea of cure, I think, you know, our prevailing belief around chronic pain is that it's it shouldn't be tolerated. And that promotes the idea that the only acceptable outcome is that complete amelioration of it. Um, And so we're constantly on a relentless pursuit for someone or something that can take it away. And of course, it's understandable because pain is a very unpleasant experience. But what we know is that once pain is chronic, it's rarely that you'll ever have a cure. And so these psychological interventions are likely things that people adopt and use throughout their lifetimes. Um, So some of the more process-oriented psychological interventions, things like emotional awareness and expression therapy, maybe things where you sort of do some emotion and process work, and that conveys benefit. But you'll likely have to continue to do similar work even on your own. The skill-based interventions like CBT and biofeedback and ACT and those kinds of things, those are things where you learn the tools and you essentially just incorporate them in your daily routine and they become second nature and old hat and you know how to troubleshoot a problem when you have a pain flare and you know what tools work for you and when to pull them out. And so pain is no different than diabetes or any other chronic condition where you constantly have to work to manage it. And so these are just the tools that, you know, we put in our toolbox and we use on a daily basis to a greater or lesser extent, depending upon what the day is throwing at us. That's actually the first time I've heard the comparison between chronic pain and conditions like diabetes that are sort of a lifetime of of commitment and attention. 
I do know that there are certain stretches that I will have to do for probably the rest of my life if I want to uh, maintain a, a decent level of activity. So adding in psychological interventions may actually diminish the amount of time I need to do that or, or make it more effective in the long term. So that raises the questions. <laughs> what should people be doing who are suffering from pain? Is there a great first step. If someone's listening to the show, they say, gosh, I've been dealing with this. I'd really like to get some additional help. What do they do? I want to acknowledge that for people with chronic pain, and I've worked with chronic pain for over 15 years now, I mentioned it's chronic, it's unrelenting, it's highly stigmatized. Um, many people with chronic pain feel that from friends, providers, family members, because chronic pain is unseen. We, we don't actually see someone's pain. We go based on their report of it. We may not believe it. Um, and that's an internal experience that also makes coping with it hard. And so I would say first and foremost, for those who have chronic pain, your pain is real. And if you don't already know, or if you haven't from this podcast come to internalize, that psychological treatment really is an effective cornerstone of pain management. And it's really important. And if it's not part of your pain care plan, this can help you. So first is just internalizing that message. And then second, I would say it's always good practice to liaise with your pain care team. If psychological interventions aren't offered as part of the plan, ask about them. Sometimes these aren't offered until, you know, people have exhausted all these other options and then they're sort of given this, which just reinforces the idea that this is kind of like the booby prize at the end <laughs> when we can't figure out what's wrong with you. We give you this. And that shouldn't be the way. If you're newly diagnosed with chronic pain, this can help you make an, an adjustment and improve your well-being. If you've had pain for many, many years, it can do the same. So people should feel confident that these interventions can help them, that they're an important part of their care plan, and that they can meaningfully improve their functioning and quality of life while reducing pain and advocate for their inclusion. So this should not be considered the path of last resort to dealing with pain. It's one of the important, as you say, cornerstones of living with something that is part of living for many people, and they just have to find the best way to integrate it into their lives and manage it and have the best life possible. Exactly. It needs to be right up there with, you know, all of the other interventions that they use to, to, to manage their pain. Well, hopefully I can cut back a little bit on the Advil moving forward, especially after a particularly rigorous uh, exercise session. I'd like to thank Mary Driscoll with Yale University for joining me today on Under the Cortex. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Under the Cortex is a production of the Association for Psychological Science, which is dedicated to advancing scientific psychology across disciplinary and geographic borders.